Conclusion part two of Battle of Little Bighorn Outlaws Gunslingers Battle of Little Bighorn Last Stand for Custer Custer's Last Stand Custer I don't know, I don't know why I'm saying everything backwards and then frontwards I know no we left <laughs> off with the massacre <laughs> a massacre of Union troops well yeah yeah well, part one covered basically the lead up to the battle the uh, strategy of the army and the misconception that there was only going to be about 800 Indians turned out to be well, at least 1,500, most likely nearing 5,000 Indians. Most likely. Um, yeah, and then we went into the battle, actually, and fucking Indians attacking, and the hey. 7th Cavalry gets wiped out, Mr. Benteen and Reno, who was the fucking commanding officers that Custer put in charge of his two separate groups that he split off, they failed him by not fucking running to him when they heard gunfire. Just sat on their asses. This is all not even confirmed shit either. They're, they're guess They don't know when this shit happened. They got an idea between the 25th of June and the, the 30th of June. At least the 27th of June if you want to go, but... Well, they found him on the 27th, so... Yeah, so they don't, they don't know when this shit happened, man. It could happen. It definitely happened on June 25th. Maybe. Gunfire heard. I mean, come on, where else would it have been? It could have been anything. But yeah, we'll start off with the last um, paragraph that we read on last show, just to catch you guys up so we're not jumping right into uh, out-of-context stuff. But we left off with, Gunfire was heard on the bluffs by Reno and Benteen's men during the afternoon of June 25th. That was probably from Custer's fight. Uh, They were unaware what happened to Custer until General Terry arrived on June 27th. Uh, They were all stunned by the news. Army went to the battle site, examined it, but they couldn't even determine what happened and couldn't even fucking determine the identity of any of the soldiers because they were badly mutilated by the Indians and fucking naked and all that shit. Faces torn off, all that shit, man. 210 men had been wiped out by the Lakota and Northern Cheyenne. So imagine, even if there was 800... Indians, two hundred and ten men. Uh, I would expect. I would back then. Two hundred ten soldiers would be wiped out by five hundred Indians, by four hundred Indians. Because Indians, I'm telling you what, these motherfuckers are masters of hunting. They would have took out the whole fucking. They weren't gonna run up. They weren't gonna run up like they did in the old days with the North and South or any other I mean, fight and stand twenty feet away from each other and pow, pow, pow. You're right. They would run up and no, the Indians would fucking uh, take them out. They'll be sitting there, next thing you know, boom, you got arrows in, like, fucking 50 men's chest. That's not really how they fought. That's how the Indians fought, but Indians fought more fucking hand-to-hand combat with hatchets and shit. they start off like that, and then they run in and do the hand-to-hand. But usually, the the way anybody died was getting fucking hit through an arrow. I guarantee it. Yeah, it's only about 50, maybe 50 yards away, no more than 50 yards away, were Indians, but 
Oh my. Uh, we figure uh, a muzzleloader from back then wasn't that accurate accurate after 100 yards and wasn't very accurate at 50 yards. These guys weren't using muzzleloaders. These guys were using... That's not the Revolutionary War. They're still using muzzleloaders. No. Yes. No, and shot, using, some had shotguns. They were using rifles, man. And, you know, some, they were still very... They had fucking Gatling guns back then. Of course they were using... Yeah, but not rifles. everybody. Of course they were. These guys probably had... We established in part one... That they had the best fucking um, weapons and uh, right. equipment. So available. these guys probably had shotguns still with 100 yards with a shotgun. It's not that accurate. It was better than a muzzleloader, but still. And Indians were way more trained in fucking everything, dude. I don't know, man. I think 500 fucking Indians would take out 200 fucking uh, soldiers all day. Single shot Springfield yeah, the rifle. The breech loading, which means a fucking uh, black fucking powder. And the Colt fucking and a single shot And a single shot fucking model. Yeah, so these guys are fucked. Guys are fucked. Are you kidding me? The revolver was fine up to like fucking Look at 20 this. feet. That's a single shot. Boom, load again. Boom, load again. Yeah. Boom, load again. That's it. Um, uh, the revolver was only good between me and the Christmas tree. Neither side. And that's why they had long knives. The opposing forces, though not equally matched in the number of type arms, were comparatively outfitted, and neither side held an overwhelming advantage in weaponry. Right, but there's more. They also had the model... They had lever-action repeaters, but wasn't... 200 or more Lakota and Cheyenne combatants are known to have been armed with Henry Winchester or similar oh, lever-action repeating rifles at the that's battle. That's why, dude. These motherfuckers just Virtually every trooper in the 7th Cavalry fought with a single-shot breech-loading <laughs> yep. Springfield carbine. Exactly, dude. They're murdered... Murdered. Historians have asked whether the repeating rifles conferred a distinct advantage on Sitting Bull's yeah, villagers did. that contributed to their victory. Fuck yeah. Historian Michael L. Lawson Fuck yeah. offers a scenario based on archaeological archaeological collections at the Henryville site, which yielded plenty plentiful Henry rifle cartridge cases from approximately 20 individual guns. Lawson right. speculates that, though less powerful than the Springfield carbines, the Henry repeaters, repeaters provided a barrage of fire at a critical point, driving right. Lieutenant... Calhoun's company. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they're finding way more bullets. Pow, 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 pow. That's three shots. I could put it off about fucking 20. It says, after exhaustive testing, including comparisons to domestic and foreign single shot and repeating rifles, right. the Army Ordnance Board authorized the Springfield as the official firearm for the United States. Oh Why gosh. would they even they're do that? Fucking morons. They rejected the lever-action repeater designs, deeming them ineffective in the event of a clash with fully equipped European armies or in case serious? of an outbreak of another American civil conflict. Are you, are you, I just don't get it. Uh, the analysis minimizes the allegation that rapid depletion of ammunition and lever-action models influenced the decision of the favor in favor of the single shot. Right. So they weren't wasting ammo. Like, oh, we can't waste ammo. These guys are just going to fire away and then run out of bullets and be fucked. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it, but, man, I don't think so. If you have fucking uh, 200 guys with a repeater rifle... Yeah, but the Springfield Carbine is praised for superior range and stopping power. So yeah, if they get a good shot... they're doing long fucking... Long, get a good bat- shot. long fucking uh, battles, but... I think the Indians totally out-fucking out uh, matched them in weapons. And they fucking just blew but they them. they had... Uh, they just fucking overwhelmed them. The, the rifle could be loaded and fired much more rapidly than its muzzle-loading predecessors. Same thing, And though. had twice the range of repeating rifles, such as the Winchester, right. Henry, and Spencer. Right, but it took longer to fucking do it. It was only one shot. Instead of pew, Apparently, pew, pew, 
pew. The lever action rifles, after a burst of rapid discharge, they still, get hot. Re- still required a reloading interlude that lowered their overall rate of fire. Springfield breech loaders, in the long run, had a higher rate of fire. Right. Because you could just be like, pew, 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 pew. You have, as fast as you can load them, you shoot them. Right. Of, da, 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 and then you got to fucking sit there and load. Well, that's the problem with that, with loading. But usually when you got when you got 500 fucking Indians firing off fucking uh, six bullets apiece, that's a lot. Well, you get five in the chamber. You get five in the fucking hundreds, I mean, I one in the chamber. I don't think that was ultimately why. I think, I think uh, why. being outnumbered three to one <laughs> had a little well, something to do with it. Maybe they didn't have 1,500. Maybe it was only 500. I mean, it was definitely 1,500, man. Mm-hmm. They had already fought battles comparable in size and won them with the same guns. What are you going to do? It happened, though. You know? Yeah, but that's what happened. Everybody died. <laughs> uh, by the time the troops came to cover bodies, like I already said, they uh, couldn't even identify most of them because they were ritually mutilated, stripped of their clothing, and in a state and of the Indians, And the Indians removed their dead, so they don't know how many people died from the Indians. Uh, we'll get to that in uh, this episode, actually. Um, they identified the best, their dead as best as possible and hastily buried them where they fell. Which leads us into this episode and what actually happened to Custard. Right. Theories, anyway. Right. Well, uh, Custard's body was found with two gunshot wounds. One to his left chest and the other to the left temple of his head. Damn. And he was probably laying there holding his thing. And put, done. Or he killed himself. One of the two. Either wound would have been fatal. Though he appeared to have bled from, the only, from only the chest wound. Obviously, he died from the fucking headshot. Uh, meaning his but head why wound. would he not have? Why would he not have bled from his head? Well, how do you not bleed even if you're dead? Right. Meaning his head wound may have been post mortem, so they fucking just made sure he was dead just because he, he was he was wearing a fucking uh, a general uniform. Just but he wasn't murdered him. But he wasn't. Okay. We'll, get, we'll get to that too. Uh, some Lakota oral uh, histories assert that Custer committed suicide. I think that's what I'm, I'm thinking to avoid capture and, and subsequent uh, torture. I mean, they are, he already knew. He's laying there. Everybody else is dead. He's like, and he's seen them fucking coming up to him, I bet. A bunch of Indians coming up to him, and he was like, fuck this shit. Doom, done. I mean, he already knows. Back then, they would just torture his ass. He's alive, dude. Yeah, they would have tortured him. Though, this is usually discounted since the wounds were inconsistent <laughs> with his known right hand in this. Don't matter. He could have had fucking, right? He's always going to have a gun in his right hand. Yeah. Not only that. It was extremely rare for Indians to take soldiers captive. captive. Right. They usually only took women and children. Well, other native accounts note several soldiers committed suicide near the end of the battle. So, I mean, I could see that. but uh, Custer's body was found near the top of the Custer Hill. Several days after the battle, Curly, Custer's Crow Scout, who had left Custer near Medicine Tail Cooley, a drainage which led to the river, uh, recounted the battle, reporting that Custer had attacked the village after attempting to cross the river. He was driven back, retreating toward the hill where his body was found. Didn't we discuss that last episode where so. uh, he attempted to cross the river, right. but sharpshooters were fucking right. drove him back? Right. So. As the scenario seemed compatible uh, with Custer's aggressive style of warfare and with evidence found on the ground, it became the basis of many popular accounts of the battle. I mean, it, it, it makes sense. This guy was known to just fucking attack. But then, as they were all crossing the river, which was a weak point for them, that's yeah, where the Indians they had knew. To, they had to ford the river, too, so saying, it's not yeah. like they could just yeah. run across the river. The Indians knew, hey, we got these motherfuckers, dude. This is like a fucking, basically the movie Glory, where the, uh, 
the 73rd Massachusetts or wherever it was. What was the name of it? I don't know, man. Uh, Every time we mentioned uh, it. Well, they, they, they climb up Mount Sumner. I think it was Mount Sumner. It was Fort Sumner, I believe it was, or something like that. Something like that. And uh, they knew they were dead. But those sacrifices were needed for the other to get there. But they had to climb a steep hill in the sand on the beach. And get shot the whole way up. The whole way up. Basically, this is what, what happened. These Indians were waiting. Like, these motherfuckers got across this river to get to us. And I know this motherfucker, he, he, he don't care. He's just going to be like, let's do it. So when they all get in that river, let's just murder, let's murder them. Well, I mean, I get what you're saying, but you'll see why uh, it didn't matter who he was. Right. But according to Pretty Shield, the wife of Gozahead, who was another crow stout for the 7th Cavalry, Custard was killed while crossing the river. All right. When, and he died there, died in the water of the Little Bighorn with two bodies and the blue soldier carrying his flag. So according to her, he died in the river with, in the, a, river, with an Indian guy wow. and the soldier carrying the flag. That's right. Uh, in this account, Custer was allegedly killed by a Lakota called Big Nose. However, however, in Chief Gall's version of events, as recounted to Lieutenant Edward Settle Godfrey, Custer did not attempt to ford the river, and the nearest that he came to the river or village was his final position on the ridge. Chief Gall's statements were corroborated by other Indians, notably the wife of Spotted Horn Bowl. Given that no bodies or men or horses were found anywhere near the ford, Godfrey himself concluded that Custer did not go to the ford with any body of men. Cheyenne Oriole tradition credits Buffalo Calf Road Woman was striking the blow that knocked Custer off his horse before he died. So even a woman killed him. Right. I believe he killed himself. Yeah. Uh, White Cow Bull claimed to have uh, shot a leader wearing a buckskin jacket off his horse in the river. While no other Indian account supports this claim, if White Bull did shoot a buckskin-clad leader of his horse, off his horse, some historians have argued that Custer may have been seriously wounded by him. Uh, some Indian accounts claim that besides wounding one of the leaders of this advance, a soldier carrying a company Gidon, Gidon? It's like their insignia on a flag. Uh, Gidon was also hit. Troopers had to dismount to help the wounded men back onto their horses. The fact that either of the non-mutilation wounds... To Custer's body, a bullet wound below the heart and a shot to the left temple, uh, would have been instantly fatal, cast doubt on his being wounded and remounted. Right. So, right. here you have multiple people taking claim to killing this guy. Right. And none of them are proven, especially this white cowboy who nobody backs up his shit. Edward Curtis, the famed ethnologist, ethno, ethnologist, and photographer of the Native American Indians made a detailed personal study of the battle, interviewing many of those who had fought or taken part in it. First, he went over the ground covered by the troops with the three crow scouts, White Man Runs Him, <laughs> Goes Ahead, and Harry Moccasin. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, with two moons and a party of Cheyenne warriors. He, was also, he also visited the Lakota country and interviewed Red Hawk, whose recollection of the fight seemed to be particularly clear. Then he went over the battlefield once more with the three Crow Scouts, but also accompanied by General Charles Woodruff, as I particularly desired that the testimony of these men might be considered an experience, be considered by an experienced officer. No, I mean, come on now. Finally, Curtis visited the country of the Arika, Ar Arikara and interviewed the scouts of that tribe who had been with Custer's command. Based on all information he gathered, Curtis concluded that Custer had indeed ridden down the Medicine Tail Coulee 
and then towards the river where he probably planned to ford it. However, how there's always a however. The Indians had now discovered him and were gathered closely on the opposite side, which I, I said that. Uh, but I said that he also crossed the river, which uh, I, I mean, I think you would have seen. I think he would have had scouts be like, well, hey, boss, there's like a bunch of Indians on the other side of the river. And he's like, well, we can't ford it. Or just look across the river. <laughs> right. They were soon joined by a large force of Sioux who, uh, no longer engaged in Reno, rushed down the valley. This was the beginning of their attack on Custer, who was forced to turn and head for the hills, uh, where he would make his famous last stand. Thus wrote Curtis, Custer made, Custer made no attack, the whole movement being a retreat. Yeah, he was fucked. He didn't even get a chance he to attack. He was fucked. He was like, oh, fuck. Immediately retreated and was fighting for their lives in the end of that. Right. Well, in the end, the hilltop to which Custard had moved was probably too small to accommodate all of the survivors and wounded. Fire from the southeast made it impossible for Custard's men to secure a defensive position all around the last stand hill where the soldiers put up their most dog defense. According to Lakota accounts, far more of their casualties occurred in the attack on last stand hill than anywhere else. Well, obviously. The extent of the soldiers' resistance indicated they had very few doubts about their prospects for revivals. Or survivals. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're like, dude, we're fucking dying here. Right. According to Cheyenne and Sioux testimony, the command structure rapidly broke down, although smaller last stands were apparently made by several groups. Custer's uh, remaining companies were soon killed. That's crazy. Can you imagine that? You got Getting all these waited. motherfuckers coming at you, and you just know that you're going to just... Moited. Just gonna die. By almost all accounts, the Lakota annihilated Custer's force within an hour of engagement. Mm. David Humphreys Miller, who between 1935 and 1955 interviewed the last Lakota survivors of the battle, wrote that Custer's fight lasted less than a half hour. Other Native accounts said the fighting lasted only as long as it takes a hungry man to eat a meal. <laughs> so like five I minutes. It's true. I, I mean, I bet that fight lasted maybe 10, 15 minutes at the most. The Lakota asserted that Crazy Horse personally led one of the large groups of warriors who overwhelmed the cavalrymen in a surprise charge from the northeast, causing a breakdown in the command structure and panic among the troops. Many of these men threw down their weapons while Cheyenne and Sioux warriors rode them down. Fuck that. Uh, counting coup, co-op, coup. Counting coup with lances, coup sticks, and quirts. Some Native Americans recall this segment of the fight basically as a just, buffalo basically run. Basically just riding past yeah. them and murdering them. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Doing what they crazy. can. <clears throat> well, Captain Frederick Benteen, battalion leader of companies D, H, and K, recalled his observations on the Custer battlefield on June 27, 1876. He said, I went over the battlefield carefully with a view to determine how the battle was fought. I arrived at the conclusion, I hold now, that it was a rout, a panic, until the last man was killed. There was no line formed on the battlefield. Yeah, because usually they would just line up and fucking and get through them. You can take a handful of corn and scatter the kernels over the floor and make just such lines. There were none. The only approach to a line was where five or six dead horses were found at equal distances like skirmishers. That was the only approach to a line on the field. There were more than 20 troopers killed in one group. There were more often four or five at one place, all within a space of 20 to 30 yards of each other. I counted 70 dead. 70 dead horses and two Indian ponies. I think on all probability that the men turned their horses loose without any orders to do so. Mm-hmm. Many orders might have been given, but few obeyed. I think that they were just panic-stricken. It was a rout, as I said before. And yeah. you didn't do shit to fucking help them. Yeah, I think these guys got fucking moited. Like, fucking... Dude. Literally annihilated. Yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. That's crazy. 
Well, uh, a Brule Sioux warrior stated, In fact, Hollowhorn Bear believed that the troops were in good order at the start of the fight and kept their organization even while moving from point to point. Well, so this guy's saying that they were actually organized. So what the fuck happened? Right. <laughs> Red Horse, an Oglala Sioux warrior, commented, Here, last stand hill, the soldiers made a desperate fight. One Hunk Papa Sioux warrior, moving, moving robe, noted that it was a hotly contested battle. While another Iron Hawk stated, the Indians pressed and crowded right in around Custer Hill. But the soldiers weren't ready to die. We stood there a long time. Hmm. So we got multiple. So, so we got this guy was actually there saying that a long time. No, it was I mean, a stand. It was a standoff. Well, probably shooting back forth at each other. Right. So, I mean, what happened? So, in a letter from February 21st, 1910, Private William Taylor, Company M, 7th Cavalry, wrote, Reno proved incompetent, and Benteen showed his indifference. I would not use the uglier words that have often been in my mind. Both failed Custer, and he had to fight it out alone. That's what I said the whole fucking mm. last episode. These guys are pieces of shit. Right. Well, the first to hear the news of Custer disaster were those aboard the steamboat Far West, which had brought supplies for the expedition. Currently, one of Custer's scout rode up to the steamboat and tearfully conveyed the information to Grant Marsh, who was the boat's captain and the army officers. Marsh converted the Far West into a floating field hospital to carry the 52 wounded from the battle to Fort Lincoln. Traveling night and day with a full head of steam, Marsh brought the steamer downriver to Bismarck, Dakota Territory, making the 710-mile run in the record time of 54 hours and bringing the first news of the military defeat, which came to be popularly, popularly known as the Custer Massacre. It mm-hmm. was the news story of the century. Damn. I mean, it just don't make no sense. Something happened there, man. It just don't make no damn sense. Especially for a well-known fucking... Yeah, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Just people weren't smart. They weren't... 2,000 Indians rushed on 200 men. <laughs> I mean, well, it was like fucking nobody did any research or anything. It was like, oh, we were just... Uh, it was just crazy. Especially not anybody arriving to the battle site two day, until two days afterwards. I mean, this is ridiculous. After the Indians had annihilated Custer's troops, the Lakota and Cheyenne advanced on the remaining U.S. troops under Benteen and Reno, who had finally ventured toward the audible firing of the Custer troops. So they took them, like, yeah, well, let's, let's just go check it out. It died down for a while. For the next 24 hours, the Indians and soldiers fought a hard battle until the U.S. lines were finally secured when additional troops under General Terry began to approach the from the north. As the troops were fortified, the Indians began a retreat to the south. The massacre having occurred right before the nation's centennial birthday substantially changed the mood against substantially. Yeah, substantially changed the mood against the Indians. Mm. Uh, the US Army, like, yep. these guys are fucking savages. Fuck these guys. Yep. The US Army responded by increasing the number of soldiers in the area in an effort to crush the Indians and take revenge for those who had died in the Battle of Little Big Horn. It was a little too late. I think that's they all knew what the whole plan was anyway. They're fucking going there for fucking total domination of land. They knew damn well, and they sent nobody, really, to battle thousands and thousands of so-called fucking savages. Well, it's clear. We've established they didn't know it was thousands and thousands. How do you not? How do you not know? What do you mean, how do you not know? We just we discussed that all in the uh, first episode. You know your land. I guarantee you have plenty of scouts going and seeing what's around and what's going on. And you, and you got a bunch of fucking Indian fucking uh, 
Indian fucking uh, people in your fucking army or whatever helping you out, they know what the fuck's going on. You can't tell me those motherfuckers be like, dude, there's like thousands of them. There are thousands. Well, clearly, they were told right before, but they didn't listen. I mean, what are you going to do, man? Besides get annihilated, it was to be three years later before the battle became the subject of an army court inquiry in 1879. During the investigation, Reno's, Benteen's, Terry's, and Custer's actions were all carefully scrutinized. Testimony suggested that Reno was a drunk and a coward, while Benteen was criticized for disobeying Custer's orders. Another contributing factor was General Terry's late arrival on the scene. However, the primary contribution to the U.S. defeat is blamed on faulty intelligence right. and poor communication. Exactly, like I said. Both Reno's and Benteen's subsequent military careers were cut short. Which should have been. They should have been hanged. Fucking morons. Estimates of Native Americans' casualties have differed widely. From as few as 36 dead, from Native American listings of dead by name, uh, to as many as 300 dead. Uh, Locata Chief Red Horse told Colonel W.H. Wood in 1877 that the Native Americans suffered 136 casualties and 160 wounded during the battle. In 1881, Red Horse told uh, Dr. C.E. McChesney the same numbers but in a series of drawings done by Red Horse to illustrate the battle. He drew only 60 figures representing the Lakota and Cheyenne casualties. Of those 60 figures, only... 30-some are betrayed with a conventional Plains Indian method of indicating death. In the last 140 years, historians have been able to identify multiple Indian names pertaining to the same individual, Mm. which has greatly reduced previously inflated numbers. Today is a list of positively known casualties exists that lists the 99 names attributed and constellated to 31 identified warriors. So, 31 out of 210, which makes sense. No, 31 out of... 210 that died for Calvary. Well, right, but 31 out of only... Out of 1,500. Right. <laughs> Still, they were only... Man- they only managed to kill 31. Right. I mean, come on. Mm. They had to have been just fucking bombarded, dude. They couldn't kill nobody. I mean, crazy. The 7th Calvary suffered 52% casualties. 16 officers and 242 troops troopers killed or died of wounds. One officers, One officer and 51 troopers wounded... Every soldier of the five companies with Custer was killed, except for some Crow Scouts and several troopers that had left the column before the battle or as the battle was starting. All right, all right, fuck this. Among the dead were Custer's brothers, Boston and Thomas, hmm. his brother-in-law, James Calhoun, and his nephew, Henry, Henry Reed. Damn, they got a whole family. In 1878, the, Amar- the <laughs> Army awarded 24 Medals of Honor to participants in the fight on the... Bl- Why would they not order 200 and whatever? All right. Idiots. On the bluffs for ba- bravery, most for risking their lives to carry water from the river up the hill to the wounded. Okay. Uh, few on the non-Indians. So they were still... Wait. So these guys were fighting on the hill, and you had guys going down to the river carrying up water to right. the wounded while the battle's still going All on. All right. That's crazy. Mm. Few on the non-Indian side questioned the conduct of the enlisted men, but many questioned the tactics, strategy, and con- conduct of the officers. Indian accounts spoke of soldiers' panic-driven flight and suicide by those unwilling to fall captive to the Indians. While such stories were gathered by Thomas Bailey Marquis in a book in the 30s, it was not published until 1976 because of the unpopularity of such assertions. Although soldiers may have believed captives would be tortured, Indians usually killed men outright and took as captive for adoption only young women and children. Indians accounts also noted that the brave, Indian accounts also noted the bravery of soldiers who fought to the death. They're like, these motherfuckers. 
Right. These motherfuckers would make great warriors. It's crazy. Oh, over 120 men and women will come forward over the course of the next 70 years claiming they were the lone survivor of Custer's last stand. Uh, hold off. Every story we do, I'm this guy. I actually yeah. survived. The phenomenon became so widespread that one historian remarked, had Custer had all of those who claimed to be the lone survivor of his two battalion, he would have at least a brigade behind him when he crossed <laughs> the Wolf Mountains and rode to the right. attack. He would have doubled his fucking forces. Right. Uh, Frank Finkel and, uh, from Dayton, Washington. Finkel and Einheimer. Finkel. Yeah. Finkel. What uh, is from it? Dayton. Finkel and uh, Ray Finkel? Ray Finkel. Yeah. Dan Marino. Uh, yeah. Frank Finkel from Dayton, Washington had such a convincing story that historian Charles Kuhlman believed it alleged survivor, going so far as to write a lengthy defense of Finkel's participation in the battle. Douglas Ellison, mayor of Medora, North Dakota, and an amateur historian, also wrote a book in support of the veracity of Finkel's claim. But most scholars reject. How do you be an amateur historian? Right. Like, well, yeah, I'm just doing some spare time. <laughs> Almost as soon as men came forward implying or directly pronouncing their unique role in the battle, there were others who were equally opposed to any such claims. Theodore Golden, a battle participant who later became a controversial historian on the event, wrote in regards to uh, Charles Hayward's claim. Charles Hayward's claim that he had been a he had been with Custer and taken prisoner. The Indians always insisted that they took no prisoners. If they did, a thing I firmly believe, they were tortured and killed the night of the twenty fifth. Right. As an evidence of this, I recall the three charred and burned heads we picked up in the village near the scene of the big war dance. When we visited the village with Captain Benteen and Lou, Lieutenant Lawless, on the morning of the 27th, I'm sorely afraid, Tony, that we will have to class, class Hayward's story that... I'm sorely afraid, Tony, that we will have to class Hayward's story like that of so many others as pure, unadulterated bullshit. Right. I mean, he's take it with a grain of salt. Uh, the right. Only... Like, why would they just keep right. this guy captive and then he's going to get away when the guy just said... We found literally decapitated and burned fucking heads on the battlefield. Indians even tell you we would kill them. The only documented and verified survivor of Custer's command, having been actually involved in Custer's part of the battle, was Captain Kyogs, Cork's horse, Comanche. So they can't even talk to this guy. And they're like, it's a fucking horse. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? Uh, the wounded horse was discovered on the battlefield uh, by General Terry's troops, and although other cavalry mounts survived, they had been taken by the Indians. Comanche eventually was returned to the fort and uh, became the regimental mascot. Several other badly wounded horses were found and killed at the scene. Uh, 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 uh. In the same year as the military investigations, the Little Bighorn Battlefield was designated a national cemetery administered by the War Department. Two years later, in 1881, a memorial was erected over the mass grave of the 7th Cavalry soldiers, U.S. Indian scouts, and other personnel killed in battle. In 1940, the jurisdiction of the battlefield was transferred to the National Park Service. Over the years, the American public sentiment towards Custer's image and the Battle of Little Bighorn has changed, and the recognition, recognition, recognition of the general mistreatment of Native Americans during America's westward expansion has increased. Of course. I mean, everyone's like, well, they, they treated the Indians so bad. Which is true, but the Indians were some savages motherfuckers. To human. Right. In 1991, the U.S. Congress changed the name of the battlefield from Custer Battlefield National Monument to Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument and ordered the construction of an Indian memorial. Today, additional red granite memorials have been erected that celebrate the Indians who fought there. 
including Cheyenne Warriors, a lame white man, and a noisy walking. <laughs> and That's dude. Could you imagine? They just named him how they act. Noisy walking. You are a noisy walker. You're a lame you're white man. Noisy walker. You look like a. You act like a lame white man. <laughs> <laughs> and some Lakota Warriors, Long Road and Dog's Backbone. The Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument is located in southeastern Montana near Crow Agency, Montana, and administered by the National Park Service. So it's a national park, and it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy, man. It's going to do it. So all in all, uh, lack, nobody knows what really fucking happened on there right. uh, to Custer and his fucking men. It was either we, lack we know that he definitely got fucking moited. annihilated. It was either lack of fucking preparedness, lack of fucking uh, war fucking... Um, Research or something, or just communication, intel, fucking something happened. Just craziness, dude. You imagine, like I said, two hundred of you on a fucking hill, Man. and there's thousands of fucking oh Indians coming running gosh. at you. I, mean, I had to say something because usually, even if you're outnumbered, just look at like fucking any wars. Like you're usually like the Americans or whatever. If you're a good army, you're outnumbered, but. You still have, you right. killed way more people than they killed you. All right. Because that's how fucking great you are. And these All motherfuckers right. must have been just rushing at him so fucking ferociously. They didn't have fucking time to Nothing. continuously reload Nothing. their shit. Yeah. And, and killed good. 33 confirmed names of the fucking, maybe right. 99. Right. It's just ridiculous. Just crazy. crazy. It's crazy how 242 people, actually 200 plus 16, 250 fucking eight. 258 people. Moited. Imagine that battlefield. You just walk up on that fucking site and there's 200-something bodies just laying there. Well, that's not, nothing compared to Civil War where there's tens of thousands not at on, each battlefield. Not on the same battlefield. Yeah. There's battlefields where 10,000 uh, soldiers died from each side. Gettysburg is one of them. Over 600,000 um, uh, yeah, soldiers but, died in Civil War. But that was over a couple days. And usually back in the Civil War, you were allowed, like, a period where they would stop, cease fire to go pick up your men. They had that all the time. All the time. Plus, there's also a lot of battles where there's, like, 1,000 to 1,500 killed, like, now. Civil War was brutal. Yeah, sure was. But yeah, man, see? You were all like, this isn't outlaws and gunslingers. It's not. It's not. Whatever. It turned out fucking great nonetheless. And now people get the little... Get to know a little bit of history other than people getting killed. Wait, what? What? <laughs> this is the This is the deadliest <laughs> that the deadliest, deadliest episode, episode we've done. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> That's gonna wrap it up for part two, guys. I don't know what part or part three. There's no part three. New. Um, I don't know what next week episode is gonna be. It'll be something. Um, I'm thinking Maybe cornbread and biscuits. Maybe somebody popular. Popular. Somebody big. Somebody popular. Somebody popular. Something big. Something big. Something big. Something big. Go big or go home. We're gonna do it either or. You're here that next week. Go check out music history May 11th through May 17th, dropping tomorrow. If you're listening to this on the day that this drops, all sorts of shit there. Monday Night Watch Alongs, we're at like episode 62. Roddy Piper's heating shit up. Stone Cold's getting fucking guns pointed at him by Brian Pillman. We oh got my. Survivor Series coming up. We got, what else do we have? Oh, all kinds of stuff. 
Sting is in the rafters doing shit. And then we have the ever popular Debate 8, where we take eight subjects, random subjects, debate them, talk about them, and nine times out of ten, argue on them. Who knows? Argue on them, argue about them. You can go to mouthofmichiganders.podbean.com, check out all of our shit, and we are the Mouth of Michiganders with Big Day! Big Day!